Production. Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another edition of Let's Run Track Talk. This is your host, Robert Johnson, Let's Run.com co-founder. And boy, am I excited for this program. After a wild week, the 2017 Worlds were amazing. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about something's Birmingham Diamond League. We're going to talk about the Diamond League finales in Brussels and Zurich. We've got so much to talk about. Where to begin? I think it's obvious. Let's go back to 2007 Worlds. What a meet. I mean, one of the biggest problems I think about that the sport has is it's normally too predictable. The favorites are always winning, but not at Worlds 2007. Usain Bolt lost. Mo Farrell lost. Elaine Thompson lost. Allison Felix lost. Uh, Ryan Krauser lost. Um, Matt Centroich went out in the first round. Gazzavi DeBaba was awful. There was so much stuff that you could not have predicted. Really amazing. But to talk about Worlds, We've got two guys that spent the week in London. One of them is still in the UK. Welcome to the program, Jonathan Galt and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Good to be here as always, Robert. I guess we might as well start since you guys were there. You know, watching it on TV is not the same as being there. I'm going to start with a simple question. Start with you, John. What was your favorite moment at World? Well, I'm, I'm going to cheat here a little because I'm going to say I'll give an honorable mention first, and that's to say that every time an athlete won a gold medal and crossing the finish line, not all of them go crazy, but most of them just start jumping up and down and losing their minds a little bit. And that's re- that's just really awesome to see because I think we think of these athletes as sort of, you know, superhumans and, you know, godlike figures a lot of the time. And then you get them in this race and they celebrate and they're, they're like a little kid, you know, they're just so happy. So to me, every time someone won a gold medal and celebrated like that was awesome. But in terms of, you know, a moment or a race, I remember it's got to be the women's steeplechase. And uh, I'm, I'm shocked. You know, if you asked me about four years ago, if I'd ever be raving about women's steeplechase, I think the odds are pretty low. I just, you know, to be honest, perfectly honest, I wasn't that interested in the event, but the Americans have made it more competitive. Now they're competitive on the global stage. And this was sort of the, the culmination of that. But it was just, a, it was a crazy race, you know, from the favorite missing the first water jump to then falling 200 meters later to a shocking American one-two with huge PRs by both women. I mean, you know, every, every meet has one or two races that I, you know, walk away from thinking I'm going to remember that for a long time. And that one just, that had everything, you know, and I haven't really stopped thinking about it for for a week now. I mean, it, it really was incredible. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, who, it seemed like there was four women that Coburn couldn't beat, and yet she beat them all. Um, but, you know, as time has been going on, and I've been analyzing that race more and more in my head, you know, I, I was thinking, were we underestimating Coburn? I mean, should we have seen at least a medal coming? I mean, the, the way I think about it is, yeah, there was four women that were faster than her. But Celestine Chesspole is, what, 18 years old? It's a long season. She's only, you know, I mean, a lot of times you see them tail off at the end of the season. And Ruth Chabet, the world record holder, I mean, coming into the year, she was viewed as unbeatable compared to Coburn. But Coburn she barely lost to her by .13 in Paris. And, and Jabet hadn't broken 9-10 since May. So if you assume Coburn's going to beat Jabet, all she's got to do is beat one other person in the world or – do you think that I'm just saying that now? 
clearly in our pre world podcast, I wasn't predicting this. I mean, Weldon, when you and John were sort of going to the race that day, did you think we're going to see an American medal? I mean, I thought it was an outside possibility, but, yeah, she'd need to run well and somebody not run great. I didn't realize, you know, Ruth Jibet hadn't run fast since May. You know, but as you said, she was, what, fifth on paper? There's four in front of her. So you figure she's a good race to make the bet. Bad race, she's fourth, and then it has to happen again. So, at the best, I was going to put her for third. And, you know, not only was she not third, she won the damn thing. And then, I don't know, I think maybe more improbable than that, because now we sort of see how she could win. You know, one crazy, crazy thing happens. It sort of reminds me back to another crazy event, the women's marathon. Um, Sort of, you know, Amy Craig had a crazy, uh, you know, it, it was pretty crazy. Um, but <laughs> actually, no, I'm confusing my stories now. Sorry, I'm, I'm digressing. The, you know, the, the crazy thing was, it was, I think, almost more crazy than Emma getting the gold. Courtney Perks getting the silver. I mean, 15 second, nearly 15 second PR for silver. Like the last lap was just so unbelievable. I mean, at the start of the lap, Frerichs is back in, I think, fourth, and you're like, okay, she's about to die. Next thing you know, she's, like, challenging for the lead on the backstretch. You're like, oh, my God, is she going to beat Coburn? You know, most of the race, I've been focused on Beatrice Chepkowicz, who had skipped the water jump and was, like, the most unbelievable thing I've ever run. seen. She comes back, falls down again, still catches up. She's on the lead lap, so, like, I just sort of in my mind thought, okay, Coburn's not going to win this thing, so who do I want to win? It's like I want Beatrice to win it. So I was focusing on her. She starts fading on the last lap, and then I'm like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> for a few seconds there, I thought, like, Courtney Frerichs is going to win the world? Like, I gave her no chance to win the USA's. So it was just totally, you know, chaotic. I think for an American, especially distance fan, that's got to be your – favorite race um for me it was and sort of <laughs> overall that was a tremendous meet for the american women um and you know i guess jerry schumacher's group as well in particular but uh, robert i don't know where do you want to take us now i mean i could talk more about this race for sure barracks uh, i don't know um, there's so much to talk about yeah yeah i want to say with this race if you're just joining us, you're listening to a post-2007 World edition of Let's Run Track Talk. This is your host, Robert Johnson. I'm joined by my co-founder, Weldon Johnson, and Jonathan Galt. Jonathan is still in the U.K. If, he's, if his analysis is a little off, folks, you've got to apologize him. He's been at a cricket match drinking all day. So, uh, John may be off his game just a little bit. Uh, I know those cricket matches can last a long time, John. So, it, you know, it might even be... How many beers can you put down in a cricket match? So that'll that'll be well. Okay, let's let's set the record straight. First of all, I had one beer, uh, and the match started at two p.m. It was scheduled. This is only day two of five, um, and it was scheduled to go until nine p.m. But it, we ended up getting out about an hour and a half early because of rain. So they played for they played for about four and a half hours, and they had about an hour's worth of break in there as well. But there's three more days coming up. Oh my God, yeah. sounds terribly just, boring, John. Right as John said, Rain, y'all may have heard the thunder in the background, and there's a torrential downpour here in Baltimore. 
Um, but yeah, if you're joining us and want to have questions, you can post in the Let's Run forum or also in the TalkShoot chat, chat client. Also, if you want to call in, you can, I think, sign up for a membership or something. Dial 724-444-7444. Enter call ID 72655-POUND, and we can unmute you and, and take a call or two. But that in that steeple, I mean, so uh, I'll tell – I think that the viewers – the listeners might inter, you know be be intrigued to hear how I you know watched it or from afar. So basically, when worlds are going on, we have like a Google Doc so that you know everyone, the staff can write and stuff like that. So um, the you know the, the international TV and the, and the internet is about a minute behind live. So I don't like being in the Google Doc during the race because Weldon and John, being in London, you know knew what was happening. So I, I went into the Google Doc and. Normally I hit return like about 40 times, so I'm farther down than them. I don't, I don't see where they're typing, so I can type my own notes to get input to the recap. So I, as, I go, as I go in there, I do glance up. You know, it's the first lap. What's going to happen? John writes, Beatrice Chip, whatever her name is, Chip Koich, has um, missed the water jump. I was like, what? I, I sort of was processing that as I was waiting for them to come to the first water jump. So I was really, really immediately upset because it was getting late in the Let's Run That Competition Contest, and I had picked her. I was very confident, based off of her flat 828-3000, she was going to win. So I was really rooting for her. So it, it, the BBC was, like, showing something else. Like, they were showing, like, the decathlon or something. So I was watching on the BBC feed, and then they cut back to show. They're like, oh, and, you know, you missed this fall, or this lady missing the water jump. And then when they came back, they showed her falling. Like, oh, my God, she just fell. So she fell like a half lap when she cut back up. So I thought after that point that Paula Radcliffe said, who was doing the commentary, I thought she said that Chip Coach was in the second pack and never had cut back up to the lead pack. So I was really confused late in the race because there were still, like, four women up there with Coburn. And I'm like, well, who's the fourth woman? There's only four women, but if Chip Coach is in the back, like, who could this possibly be? And I was really confused. So I go to, like, our results database, and I'm, like, looking at the – trying to pull out the 2007 Worlds list to figure out who this person could possibly be because I was rooting for Chip Coach, but I thought she was in the backpack, you know, in the second pack, and blah, blah, blah. And so by the time – this takes time. So I wasn't really even enjoying it. By the time I sort of figure out that, no, she has to be in the lead pack somehow, even though she's fallen and missed the water jump, I look up, and they're basically ringing the bell. I mean, it takes three or four minutes to do that and I like look at the bell and I'm, I see Frederick's still up there and I'm like this I literally my brain was like this doesn't make any sense and then I looked at the clock and it said like 754 and I'm like this really doesn't make any sense because they're going to break nine I was thinking you know they can run you know they probably ran like a 68 but I was like you know I, was, I guess if it was a guy they could probably break nine so I was like they're going to run right at nine minutes I'm like then I literally tried to think like I'm like well I was trying to think, like, did they start in the wrong place? Or Then I'm like, well, if they cut the course, but then, wait, they're all there, though. This is make no one cut any course. They couldn't start in the wrong place. So then I kind of was like, I guess we're just up there. And then when Forrest went for the lead, I freaking freaked. That was amazing. And, um, I mean, to me, I've talked to a lot of people. You guys even had a quote. I was talking to a college coach after the race, and he said to me, he's like, you know, watching that race, I really feel like Forrest was the key to Coburn's goal. And I was like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. He's like, you know, Coburn views herself as a class above Fyrex. So in the middle of the race when it strung out and they were hanging on to the back of the pack, 
she knows she's right behind her. She's like, well, I'm not going to fall off the pack. Like, I always run ahead of Courtney. And then on the last lap, when Courtney goes ahead of her, she's like, well, I always beat Courtney. i gotta get, I got to get back ahead of her again. So, you know, this was a college coach saying this to me. And then I read you the recap, and Coburn, I mean, didn't quite see it that specifically, but which one of you talked to her? I mean, how much did she sort of think, like, yeah, you know, she had a good quote to one of you guys about basically, like, yeah, I saw Courtney up there. I'm I mean, yeah, she, going. She, said it, she said it multiple times that it was motivation to have uh, Courtney with her in that race. And I think Emma's too polite to have said uh, that motivation was – I know I should be – I have no business losing to this girl, but I'm pretty sure that's what she was thinking is, you know, on the last lap, wow, an American's going to win Worlds and it's not going to be me? Hell no, you know? And that – obviously, she had a terrific final water jump and she was the stronger athlete, but I think she knew that once she saw – like like you said, Robert, once she saw Ferrix threatening for the lead on the backstretch, um, Emma knew that Courtney had something left and – if Courtney had something left, I think Emma was going to make sure she dug as deep as possible. And obviously, she's already going to do that in the World Championship, but I think it certainly helped having someone who you – I don't think Emma's ever lost to Courtney in a steeple, to my knowledge. So to have someone like that in the race, it's got to be uh, mentally, you know, help you just drive a little bit harder. Yeah, I think the untold story when, you know, when the untold story of this race is told, that'll be it, right? They sort of fed off one another. I mean – there were a couple quotes, and she said it multiple times. It's sort of like the polite version at the, I think at the press conference was, seeing Courtney right here, again, provided a little bit of motivation, like, hey, she's doing this. You can do it too. Um, so, you know, in that final lap, I think it really helped. But I think the other thing we got to give a lot of credit to is Courtney believing that she could do this. I mean, afterwards, hearing her talk, it, it was pretty eye-opening. She said, like, I thought I could be the first American woman to break nine in the steeple. I wanted that. To, I want that to be me. I still kind of, you know, now she sort of acknowledges that Emma could beat her to it, but she's like, I'm not opposed to being the first one to do it. And this is somebody who came in with a, what, 918 PR. Um, so, you know, I think her by getting up there changed everything for Courtney. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was really amazing. I mean, no fear, no fear. I mean, I, that was the thing that was just so impressive is how she found herself there on the last lap and she wasn't content to run for bronze. She was going for gold. I mean, it was so motivating. And I think it, it gives hope to the average runner. I mean, I've seen it before, I, I you know, in, in a much smaller scale, but guys that have been struggling with anemia or whatever, and then they get in a big race and they're in great shape and all of a sudden they win it. Like, like wait a minute, for two years this kid sucked. He couldn't do anything. All of a sudden, he gets in a big race and wins it. And I think so much times people think, oh, it's a mental, it's a mindset of winning. In reality, you know, I've always said it's really a fitness level. I mean, I'm not saying that there's no mental component to running. There clearly is. But I, I used to always make fun of Weldon. I mean, Weldon was the guy that would get fifth or sixth in the Ivy League, drive me nuts. And then as a professional, he was, you know, getting fourth in the USA two different years. So it was the same guy, but he was just a lot fitter. Now, Weldon, we could go on for hours about how he was much stronger mentally later, blah, blah, blah. But, guys, I was thinking about this. What do Courtney Furrick, I mean, excuse me, what do Emma Coburn, John, and Jenny Simpson have in common? Rattle, rattle what comes to mind. Emma Coburn and Jenny Simpson. Uh, well, wait, 
There's a lot of Andy, a lot of things in common. I'm going to say they were both NCAA mile champions. Is that what you're getting at, Robert? Um, oh, well, I hadn't even thought about that, but I'm sure I know that. I know that. Uh, was Jenny an NCAA Colburn mile was. champion? I, I mean, they both went to Colorado. They both trained with Mott Wetmore. They both won world titles. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Actually, going NCAA, for Jenny never won the mile. No, I mean, they're obviously both Colorado grads. They're both New Balance athletes. They're both world champions. Uh, but to me, there's two interesting components about the world titles. Both of them had something very fluky happen in the world. When Jenny won her world in 2011, you got to remember there was a fall, and that fall took out Morgan Eusene, who was the favorite, American Morgan Eusene, who was the favorite for the world. But the other person, and I'm not sure, it'd be interesting to go back to see how she was running at that point. The other person I really see like that, knocked down, or, I mean, that fell in the fall, was Helen O'Beary. So, two studs. That, that was O'Beary's, I think, first year on the circuit. Um, so, yeah, actually, O'Beary had, had won. She had only run 408 going into the year, but she won the Kenyan Trials and had run two flat for 800. So who knows what O'Beary would have done. So something crazy happened in both their races. In this race, Chip Kowicz misses the water jump. But the other thing is both of them won Worlds in the year after they dumped their college coach, Mark Wetmore. So Emma Coburn went to her fiancé, and then um, – you know, Jenny Simpson went to uh, Julie Benson coach her for a couple of years. And then, of course, Simpson wasn't happy with that, even though she won a world title and has gone back to Wetmore. So it's just, you know, it's kind of interesting that in the year, you know, Wetmore is obviously a great coach and is still coaching Jenny Simpson. Um, but I, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit to remind ourselves that, hey, two flukes happened and they both had new coaches that year. So, Well, yeah, yeah. Set, setting the record straight, though, Robert, though, Jenny did not dump Mark when she turned pro. Uh, she asked Mark to continue working with her, and he refused. So that's why she started working with uh, Julie Benson, not because uh, she chose to leave Mark, but because Mark wasn't coaching any post-collegiate at that point and didn't want to take her on. Uh, good point. I stand corrected. Um, you know, one thing uh, – that's sort of a crazy idea, but there's been a lot of talk. Bolton's going to probably tell me to tone this down a little bit, but there's been a lot of talk in America recently about racism, uh-huh. white privilege, and stuff like this. I've been trying to properly be schooled about white privilege. Being a white man, it's hard to know about white privilege. Many of the message board posters think I'm the embodiment of white privilege. But the more I think about this, couldn't it, if I'm going to be socially woke, is that the term, John? W O K? Is that how I say it? <laughs> Yes, yes, continue. Couldn't it easily be argued that Emma Coburn's gold is the result of white privilege? Do you guys understand what I'm getting at, or I need to explain myself a little bit more? <laughs> no, keep oh, going, please. Oh, it's very simple, and I'm dead serious about this. I don't, the whole white privilege stuff drives me nuts when it comes to politics, but I think in track and field, there's something to it. Um, you know, Coburn, no doubt in my mind, She's making more money this year when when the season started, just by existing, not even running a race, just her endorsement contract with New Balance. She's going to make more money this year than most of those steeples. I mean, Ruth Jabat's a world record holder. Maybe she's got a nice contract. But do you really think Celestine Chesspole has a contract or Hyvin Kain has a big contract? Uh, you know, in Kenya and in Uganda – 
And you saw this on the homepage today, Joshua Cheptegei, the, the 10,000 medalist, he's asking for the Uganda government to pay the people because these guys don't have big contracts. There's not a big shoe market. Most people in Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, they can't afford Nikes, so there's not big endorsement contracts. So, that, so these people can't afford their shoe contracts, so they have to run early in the season. And, you know, they can't pay for Worlds. To, to make ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in the early Diamond League meets, you know, it's a big deal. I mean, I, I talked earlier about Ruth Jabet, even though she may have a contract, she runs for guitar and is supposedly paying gold medalist. So maybe may, maybe it doesn't really apply to her, but she ran Doha, Shanghai, Baku, and Eugene. So she ran four races in May. Now, I told Weldon she hadn't broken 9-10 since May because that's cause since then she's only run one race, which was Paris. But they have to race or they don't have to, but I feel like, you know, Cobra can just sit around and pay, pay for worlds where these other people want to make money in, in, in these early season meets. Tell me, I'm, tell me that, where am I wrong with that logic? It's a good well, argument, what about actually. Evan Jager. What about Evan Jager? He only got the bronze. He has the same luxury. No, well, I, I see what Robert's saying, that it, she's got an advantage. But I would say it's Western privilege. But, you know, yeah. if Emma, if Emma Coburn was black, the same thing would apply. Because she's no, in, the, in the West, you know. Um, and there's just more sponsorship dollars here available. But you're correct. You know, if Ruth Chabet goes to Doha and wins the sequel, she wins $10,000. That's well, going to be a range. much bigger no, percentage of her, of her yearly income than if Emma Coburn goes to Doha and wins the steeplechase. So, yeah, see, see what you're saying. Sort of the New Balance sponsorship sets her up to do well and really focus on worlds and make that the sole, sole focus, focus of the year. But, you know... If you win worlds, what do you get? Sixty thousand dollars? Is that is it a hundred thousand now? It's funny. It's sixty thousand. Still sixty. Um, yeah, you do get sixty if you win the worlds, Robert. So you think they might really still just focus on that one? But maybe they figure, oh, hey, my the government's paying her, right? So I mean, I, second or third. I'm starting to doubt myself, but hey, I'm, I'm trying, folks. I'm trying. So. I think we should move on and talk about something else. 25 minutes in the women's steeple is, is, is more than enough. But I think perhaps, you know, the next topic would be just Team USA as a whole. I mean, when we had our pre-Worlds podcast, we made our predictions, and I said two, two medals for the U.S. We won seven in Rio, and, and no one thought that was possible. And yet 2007 Worlds is over, and we won seven again, right, John? Is that correct? correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, Pretty, you, yeah, one in the, seven. I, I thought it was six. No, one in the women's eight, one in the women's 15, two in the women's steeple, women's marathon. So five on the women's side, and then Jager and Shalimo medals on the men's side. So five women's medals, two, two men's medals equals seven. What was the male-female breakdown in 2016? Does anybody remember? I believe it was four and three because you had medals from Jenny, Emma, uh, oh, maybe it was five and yeah. two. Jenny and Emma medal no. on the women's side, and you had Shalimo, Rupp, Jager, Jager. So again. and Murphy. So it was five to two. Five to two men that time. Yeah. Or five to two both times for the male and the females has changed. Interesting. Um, you know, I, I guess it's hard to, you know, if we spent 10 minutes in each medal, we'd, we'd be out of time. So, 
you know, I mean, looking at those medals, I mean, there was an interesting thread on Let's Run, biggest disappointment at Worlds, and they meant, like, people who messed up, but the first, second post was Evan Jaeger's Braun. And I'm not going to lie, I mean, we just handed out grades. If you haven't seen them on the front page of Let's Run, we gave everybody a grade. And I think we gave, I gave Jaeger a B for, for the Worlds. I mean, when you get a medal, it's a good world. So B is good. You know, it's a good world, but it was certainly anticlimactic. Um, I really thought Jaeger and Wilson, A.G. Wilson, were going to be the only medals for the U.S., but I was clearly wrong. I mean, Flyerick, we said, was amazing, A+. Um, you know, and I, I just, Amy Craig, I mean, nobody saw that coming. Come on, there was 10 women in that field with a sub-222 PR, and she got a bronze. And then, you know, Tolimo, I mean, he certainly wasn't a huge surprise. So, but what a fantastic, you know, performance by by, by Team USA. Um, yeah, Amy Craig sort of got bumped off the headlines, but, you know, I guess Ginny did that. I mean, A.J. Wilson was sort of expected, but a lot of times the unexpected sort of, you know, gets takes the headlines. Ginny's medal in silver, I mean, we shouldn't, maybe it shouldn't be unexpected as well. She does. She just executes perfectly at just about every world. Or Olympics, but you know, Ginny getting the silver and all this other stuff, we almost forgot about Amy Craig's bronze, but it was so unexpected. Um, it was, the women's field in the marathon was very deep this year, very tough. Sometimes it's kind of weak. You think maybe someone would sneak in there for a bronze. That wasn't the case. And in the last like 10K of that race, like it went out really slow, and they were just there was a huge pack of women. They were like, the first, the gold and silver were trading places, the bronze and the fourth place were trading places. It was just like a thrilling race, like all the way around. I mean, that's the other thing with the marathon at Worlds. Like, you know, third place means something. Whereas at New York, like third versus fourth, sure, it means a little different to price money, but it's not the end-all, be-all. And, you know, Amy Craig had a – not only did she get the medal, she had to, she had to gut it out the final mile and a half. Um, she said her coach, you know, Jerry Schumacher essentially told her a mile ago she'd fallen back, and he, he said – just be close for the half mile to go. She sort of had that moment of truth. We all want to respond to in running. You know, I think that's why a lot of us train. Like, what are we made of? When the, when the chips are on the line, what are we made of? Can we push through? And she said, like, I just sort of thought, like, this is why I do this, you know? And she stayed close, tried to get a little closer by 800 to go, and then she out, out kicked her and got the bronze. So just tremendous all the way around. Yeah, I really thought, you know, reading some of the recaps and what y'all, when y'all talked to Jerry Schumacher, as a former college coach myself, I was really thought it was really good. The advice that he gave both to Amy Craig and Courtney Forex, he gave them like very specific advice. Like, you know, with a mile to go, he's like, if you just can stay up there for another half mile, you're going to have the best kick. So that's something very concrete to focus on. And the same thing, he apparently told Flyerix, when you find yourself with Coburn on the last lap. So she was prepared for that happening. A very specific instance, yes, it's happening. Okay, this is what I do. If A, then B. And I think that's a much better way of coaching than sort of, I mean, you have to be at a certain level, obviously, to get that type of specific instructions. You know, and it's rare that it actually happens, what you hope is going to happen. Or, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. But I think a lot of times, you know, people are screaming like, you know, if you see her at mile 25, go, you can do it. You know, you're kicking for bronze. I mean, you're saying stuff that they already knew. I think it's important to give them something to, to think about because they're tired. And I think by, like, having a mental thought process, they don't worry about the fatigue. They have something specific to act on. So 
uh, that was something that really struck me. I really thought was sort of interesting. Um, I'm, not, you know, I'm uh, not sure, though. I think you may have jumped the gun there. I'm not, uh, John, did you hear him say or anyone report that he said when you're there in the last lap with Coburn? I mean, maybe I, don't, he impl- I don't think that's what he said. I think, I think he, he implied said, it. He said essentially the race instruction was go out and run with Emma. It's like you can do what Emma thinks. You know, you, you're as good as Emma. And sort of that was what Kurt Ferrex has been thinking all this year. I'm getting closer to her. I can run with her. So it's like, okay, I can go run with her. I may not be able to run with Ruth Jabet, but I can go run with Emma. So that sort of makes it very concrete. And then I think the terminology I think what he used said was, you can do something. Emma, if you're still with Emma, you can do something special. Yeah, yeah you can smell something special. Um, so here's the actual quote. I found it. Going into the last lap, there are five. Jerry had said, if you can stick an Emma, you might smell something special. So I see how you see, I see what you're saying, Robert. Like she's implying on the last lap she was thinking of that. I think I took it more that Jerry was saying, just stick with Emma and something special might happen. You know. So if she gets to that final lap, hell yeah, something special can happen. But also it's interesting, like yeah, he's taught her to be thought. prepared for like something crazy to he's like something crazy is gonna happen during this race may happen. So like when Chepkowicz misses the water jump um, Courtney said it gave, sort of gave her some confidence. She's like, oh, my God, like, there's there's the crazy. Okay, you know, there's crazy. And then she just sticks up with Emma, and she, she's like, oh, he said something special might happen. I'm just going to go for this, you know. That's where she takes the lead. It was, it was, you know, yes, Robert, you like to say, you know, fitness is 95% of it, 98% of it, whatever. She had to be super fit, but I think the belief in the sports psychology, it can make a huge difference. And nobody saw this coming, and hats off to the entire team for what they did. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the recap. She said, I woke up and thought, this is what he's talking about. I have to go over this. You know, and, and that is just really, I mean, the, you know, look at her face in this photo. She's just total shock. Really amazing stuff. Um, you know, but as good as the moments were, and, you know, I think it's great to have these upsets. That's what the sport needs. You can't always have the favorites winning. It's weird. I kind of feel like the, the men's race, the women's races for U.S. fans and Let's Run fans, Systems fans, sort of defined by these American women who did so well. But the men's meet was really defined by sort of losses, big favorites losing. I mean, there were certainly big favorites losing on the women's side. Lane Thompson lost. Kenny Harrison lost. But on the men's side, both Mo Farah and Stane Bolt lose the final races at Worlds. Um, you know, as though hip-hop wasn't good, just, you know, some, some, some really sort of crazy stuff. Uh, it was more about, like, you know, who, I guess, like, who didn't do stuff. Like, as uh, Isaac McQuallow was banned from the meet, you know. Um, but it's just so crazy. Did you guys talk to, was it, was it Boss? Um, you know, the Frenchman that won the 800? Um, I, I, I didn't see if, if y'all had any interviews with him. I saw him on the BBC. Came on on set and sat down one afternoon. Speaks English pretty good, well, and I really liked him. He's like, "Look, I'm not the best 800 meter runner in the world. I just won a really important race." So I really thought he had a, a, a nice attitude. And enjoyed listening to him. Um, did he did he come to the mix zone? Yeah, I t- I talked to him for about a minute in the mix zone. He had to be ushered off to either the press conference or the medal ceremony, but he. I mean, his interview with us was good. He basically described it as a dream. He was, he said it was more of a nightmare, you know, describing a recurring nightmare where 
you know, you're trying to run away from people and they're going to catch you. But he said, do they ever actually catch you in the nightmare? You know, he was asking us, the journalists, and the, the Irish journalist he was talking to was like, well, no, you know, you always wake up. Like, they, they never actually catch you in the dream. And he was like, yeah, that's, that's what it was like for me today. Like, it was like a nightmare where they were chasing me, but I knew that in nightmares they don't actually catch you. So I knew I was going to win it. And he, he had, I mean, I would just Google Pierre Ambroise Foss interviews off the world because he had so many good ones. I've seen other ones. There was one in the press conference where I think, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was some sort of anecdote about him and his coach and they were, you know, he was saying how he loved his coach or something and they were suggesting they were lovers or suggesting he was going to make love to the medal, all, the, all this sort of crazy stuff. But he was definitely one of the most interesting characters. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, would, I would search out that content. But he was very, a very entertaining interview. Yeah, there was just so much entertainment. We didn't even talk about the 400 hurdles. Carson Warholm, who's face, people were comparing it to the scream of Norway when he won the 400 hurdles. <laughs> that freaky little face but you know for every surprise winner there has to be I mean that means that there was a big big favorite that lost you know Weldon in your mind who was the big who was the biggest flop at Worlds you know obviously Farrah and Bolt lost Elaine Thompson Kenny Harrison there's a lot of sort of candidates I mean I certainly don't think that Mo Farrah should be ashamed of anything he did he had a fantastic Worlds closed well won the 10,000 and just I really think that the reason why he lost is he actually had to run three hard races for once. Instead of jogging, jerking around in the 10,000, tactical 10,000, he went to the well. He called that the hardest race in his life, and then Edris is in really good shape. He's already run 1255. So, you know, we've seen it in the past when, you know, Bekele, even in his prime, he got beat by El Galouche in the 5,000 at the Olympics. So if you're really good, but you have really good people against you and, and you have to work in the first race, it makes that second race a lot harder. But of those other races, which one sort of most surprised you? Um, interesting question. I don't know if it was surprised, but I feel like the biggest well, there's two I can actually think of. One I don't know if I'd call it a flop. I guess he flopped Ryan Krauser in a shot put. Um, he's pretty much dominated everything this year and just wins with ease. And he was just off, but he did have one throw that would have won the competition. So I feel like it was ruled a foul. It was very controversial. Um, that was the only throw. Usually he'll have two or three throws that might have, might have won the competition. So you could argue he flopped there. I mean, we can talk about that a little bit because you're a shot putter. That costs you hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, he didn't finish in the top. I don't know, was he sixth, fifth, somewhere in there, eighth? You know, he was... So he loses $60,000 in prize money, bonuses and everything. I mean, those guys don't have a ton of opportunity. He is the Olympic champion, so he's got, he's got the best endorsement contract in the, in the sport for shot putters. But a referee's decision cost him, you know, easily six figures. So on the men's side, I was thinking that. But, but to me, sort of the one athlete who just, I feel like, let the pressure totally get to her, totally under underperformed. It's, Kenny Harrison in the hurdles. Um, she's the world record holder. I think I think there's pretty much no other way to say it except that the uh, pressure got to her. I mean, she ended up fourth, so off the medal stand. She runs 12.74. Um, she's 
she barely made the final. She smashed a hurdle in the semifinals. I mean, that's a little bit different. Like, you know, you, you, in the women's hurdles, you smash a hurdle, you're in trouble. But she makes the final. She gets a second chance. She wins 12.86 in the semis, 12.74 in the final, fourth place, no medals. And if you look what she's run this year, her slowest time in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. She never run under 12.60. So it's just crazy. She runs 12.74 in the final and, you know, then ends up off the medal stand. Sorry about that. Home on a Friday afternoon. My dogs are barking. And in case you're wondering, the winning time in London, 12.59. So she has her worst race of the year. She went. But she has worse than her worst race of the year. And finishes well, she did, she did win USA's in 12.60. It was 12.59 was the winning world. Yeah, but 12.60 into a huge headwind of 1.7 meters per second, won USA's. Um, and when she won USA's, I was thinking, oh, this is great for her. She's learned to deal with the pressure. She's, she's not a choker. And then someone said, well, no, what do you mean? There was no pressure on her. So why? It was USA. She's like, yeah, but she was already in the world as a diamond champ. So, yeah. I oh, interesting. With I hadn't thought about that either. Yeah, so she didn't have any pressure at USA. So I really think that you're right. I mean, if you were going to ask me which athlete most needs to see a sports psychologist, well, maybe mute your phone when you're not speaking, uh, I would definitely say her on the women's side. Um, you know, looking at the betting odds, I, I – for some reason, I left the women's 100 hurdles out of our betting guide, so I don't know how much of a favorite she was. The largest favorites to lose on the men's side, Farah and Bolt were actually 4-11, to 11, which is slightly higher odds than, than Krauser at 4-10. to 10. But the, the biggest favorite to lose was Elaine Thompson in the women's 100. She was a 1-7 to seven favorite. Um, but uh, I definitely think that Harrison's got some work to go on the mental side of things. And on the men's side, uh, to me, I don't know what it is, but Donovan Brazier, he's such a big talent, and I have such high aspirations for him. But I feel like sometimes when I'm watching him run, I can tell with, like, I mean, I guess you're, I'm waiting kind of late to the race. But, like, 600 meters, all I need to do is watch him run from 600 to 650. I can tell if he's, like, going down and going faster or if he's just done. And when he's done, it reminds me of Steve Holman back in the day. It's like, how in the world is this big talent not getting it done? So I feel like sometimes he's just, you know – not running the last 150. If I was him, I would just say relax, coaching him, I'd just say relax for 600 and slam the last 150 in every race. He'd probably make every final he's ever in, but um, definitely a little bit disappointing for him. Um, in our world's, um, you know, grades, I'm trying to see what we gave him. We just put up the grades on the front page of Let's Run, if you're just joining us. Um, and we gave Brazier a C+. Plus. He did get out of the first round, which was, you know, a step up from last year's at USA's. I mean, he didn't even get out of the first round of USA's, so he's in the final, he's in the semifinals world. And one thing on the, on the grades, guys, I came up with a plan. I want to, Jonathan, you may not have read it since you've been at the cricket match all afternoon. Um, I have a, a plan for changing the semifinal selection of worlds. I think they should either, if they want to keep what they have now, which is a three three section semifinal. They, they cut it down to the final from 24 to 8. I'd like to see them go from 24 down to 9 and just take the top three from each semifinal. So, you know, I, 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 I would rather see that. No time, just top three, and you're in. But what I would really like to do, I think a better scenario would be 
um, would be maybe to cut it down to be more cutthroat in the very first round. So this year they had six rounds of eight in the first round, and they took like the top three in each heat, so that would be 18. Yeah, and then they took the next six time qualifiers. What I would like to see them do is just, if you're going to run six heats in the first round, you just take the top three from from um, from the, from each heat in the first round. That's it. No time qualifiers. So if you're not in the top three, you're gone. But then you have an 18-person semifinal run that in two lanes of nine. Now obviously you need a nine-lane track. And then if you have two, if you have two heats of nine, you could do top four in each heat and maybe the next one. So John, don't you think that sounds better? I mean, it seems like everyone in the event, whether it's fans, spectators, coaches, athletes, they hate the way the 800 is done currently. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I think that's a great plan. One thing, one thing I will say though is that the current system does make. I mean, the, the semifinals would be interesting under your system as well. But you know, Adam Schott said this after the race. Like the 800 is just a brutal event, and, and part of that, part of the reason why it's so fascinating is it because it is so hard to to make it to the final and still have you know, still have a great performance and run well there. You know, the, the semifinals, it's really important to run very, very well, and you only get one day in between to rest. So I think that's part of what makes it intriguing. But, you know, if you look at these worlds, I would have liked to see Emmanuel Cora in the final, and I guess, you know, he was he kind of got hurt, so that's maybe the reason he didn't make it. But I would have liked to see Brazier in the final. I think your suggestion of going down to – you know, just two semifinals and having top four and then maybe one more time make it. I I like that a lot. And I think I think if you polled all the athletes, they'd probably uh, agree with you there because most of the time when you've got six heats and top three advancing, you know, you, you don't get many time qualifiers uh, from the first round ending up doing anything of significance in the later round. So I don't think you're really hurting anyone who's a big-time medal threat anyway. Right. And I do think that, I mean, one of the fears they might have, of, I think they don't like using all nine lanes just in case there's a fall and they want to put someone in the final so they have an extra spot. But I think you would just put it, again, they don't like to leave ambiguity. You would put it in the rule book that if somebody fell or whatever, if there was an extra person in the final, you have that person share a lane with whoever the slowest person was in the, in the, of the qualifiers. I mean, just put it, people can share a lane. They do it all the time in the Diamond League. I mean, every meet these people run almost throughout their. I mean, somebody's sharing a lane most of the time. It seems like so. Just you know, they shouldn't be worrying about this stuff. But there's got to be some certain rule changes. You know, and, and another rule change I want to see comes on stepping on the line. I mean, I'm still irate. I mean, as good as one two in the steeple was. You know, one of the races I'm most excited to see after Worlds is I've got to see Colin quickly in a steeple. What if she's in the same shape as Spyrex and, and Coburn? I mean, she's probably not quite in that shape, but hell we could have gone one two three so to be disqualified for stepping on a turn in the middle of a two-mile race is absurd so i think they should put this in the rule book if you step on the line not cut the line i mean if you obviously if you cut off the water jump you know that would be a huge advantage but if you step on the line they should just say it's a one second penalty or a two second penalty you know something like that so People would know. It's like the flag comes up. You could have an official throw a flag, yellow flag, and they'd say, oops, I stepped on the line. You know, besides the fact, I really think they should have a rail. But, hey, you know, okay, shit, I've got a one-second penalty, so I've got to run faster. I've got to qualify by more than one second. I mean, she did not get more than one-second advantage, I mean, like a tenth of a second advantage 
it's just these people, they're sticklers for the rules. The cone's not even in the right place. I mean, to me, it was clear if the cone's in the right place, she probably didn't step on, on that line. And I feel like common sense should have prevailed. She should have at least been placed in the finals since she qualified. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, the, the, that was the only negative of Worlds to me was, um, well, first of all, a lot of people were getting sick. I mean, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan uh, Hill, right? You yeah. Know, he didn't run the final. McCullough gets sick. All these athletes get sick. Let's be honest. If this happens in the, if Kenya is hosting the thing and all these athletes get sick, people are going to be land blasting the Kenyan organizers. It may just be a fluke, you know, or whatever, but a lot of athletes got sick. So I don't know what that's from, but it needs to point out. And the weather. That's one thing I wanted to ask you guys. Sitting in my 70-degree cooled temperature, yes, I'm not globally friendly. I, I, I love to jack on my AC. Um, you know, the weather here was nice in my TV room. How cold was it there? Were you guys wearing jackets, or did it vary by the day? What, well, then being from Texas, did you find it refreshing? <laughs> or did that That's a what? I I toned down, toned down your weather talk and some of the uh, stuff that we put up today, sort of looking back at Orals. Personally, I thought the weather was glorious. It was wasn't hot, but um, you know, standing there, sort of doing the media stuff, you're on the track level there's a tunnel there's a lot of wind at times so most days a couple days it was pretty cold like you needed a jacket there but like that's because it's windy you know running wise usually was you know i don't think it was ever in the 50s probably for races maybe i don't think it was probably 60s and 70s so not ideal sprinting weather but for the distance races it was really good weather so i don't know i mean was one day it rained a bunch um but on TV, were there complaints about the weather? I thought the weather was fine. I thought it was, you know, it's really good distance weather running. So I'm sure the sprinters would like it a little bit warmer. But, you know, what are you also going to get in London in the summer? Oh, good. No, I, I was hearing Bolts complaining about being in the, kept in the call room too long, and I thought it was cold. So. No, I mean, it was 60s or 70s most days, but for athletes, it, it wasn't cold. Uh, it could be in the mix zone beneath the stadium. You get that draft coming in. I mean, I can understand the athletes. It, you know, objectively, was it cold? Uh, no, it wasn't cold, but it wasn't warm. And I think I can understand why the athletes would would say that. I can see in the mix zone after the race. You're, you know, you've, you've competed, and that probably was the coldest place as the wind's funneling through. But before the race starts. You know, it's in an interior space you're waiting in. I heard they took made them get out of their sweats. Well, that's sort of stupid. They shouldn't, should have kept on the sweats as long as possible. But, you know, the Jamaicans weren't the only guys who had to do that. So I, I sort of feel like everybody's treated the same. You know, if you guys win the race, you're not complaining about being held too long in the call room. And the thing is, they weren't winning that race. Like, Usain Bolt got it way back in third. He wasn't going to catch up. So... You know, it's sort of sour grapes, I feel like. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about is the men's 100. Do you guys want to talk about that briefly? Did you guys see the breakdown of the 100 meters sort of every every 10 meters of the race? Yes. I did I not read that article. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, the IWF this year, for the first time ever, sort of, they have this like high performance unit or statistical unit and they sort of 
had all these cameras and timers and they published 10 meter by 10 meter splits of the 100 meters. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, one, you sort of, you can see more concretely when people reach the, their top speed, which is between 50 and 60 meters. Um, so that after that, it's just a matter of holding on. And then also you can see like who slowed down the most. And essentially Coleman slowed down the most. His final 10 meters was the slowest of the race, tied for slowest. Um, and then Gatlin held up speed the most. So Gatlin made up 0.05 on Coleman in the last 10 meters to win by 0.02. So, you know, essentially Coleman, Coleman dropped his pace over that thing by added 0.04 this time and Gatlin stayed steady. Um, yeah, looking at that now, I'm, so it looks like Bold actually had a, a good shot. I mean, he was, you know, only 0.01 behind Gatlin at 90 meters. And then he lost the final 10 meters by, by 0.02 to Gatlin. So he lost yeah, fascinating. Point, right? That's what I was going to say. Like, at 90 meters, Bolt had gained 0.01 on Gatlin the 10 meters before that. So he's gaining on Gatlin. He's also point, so he just gained 0.01 and he's 0.01 behind. So you just, you keep it, all he has to do, keep that rate of improvement and he beats wow. our ties. Yeah, he actually, well, then for the previous 30 meters, he gained 0.01, 0.01, 0.01. So every 10 meter segment, he'd been gaining 0.01 a gallon. So, and then he know, sort of, he's behind. I think he kind of panicked a bit. And then, I wonder, wow, see, the guy, they both actually get tight for once. Fascinating. I mean, no one sort of talked about this because, Gatlin, I would love to see if they had these stats for previous worlds because Gatlin maintained his speed. Gatlin hit his top speed at 60 meters, running that segment in 0.86 seconds. Then he went 0.86, 0.87, 0.87, 0.87. He essentially didn't slow down. He slowed down by 0.01. Bolt's top speed was a little bit faster, 0.085, but he then went 0.86, 0.86 until he fell off the last 10 meters to 0.89. I'd love to know what Bolt usually does, but if he just sort of maintains that, he's the world champion, which is crazy. Or you could argue that, uh, you know, Coleman should have could have been the world champion if he didn't drop. Yeah, I've dug into the numbers and I've looked at like I, I read this article. Craig Pickering, I think he's a former sprinter, wrote this article for Hammer Media, and uh, I think he's looked at a few of Bolt's previous races. I think the difference is he's. He just run, he's running faster than normal. He, I think he, he normally runs faster over the, far, the end of the race, obviously, because he's just in better shape. But I think he also doesn't slow down quite as dramatically as he did for that final uh, 10 meters because he, you know, he went from 0 0.85, 0 0.85, 0 0.86, 0 0.86, 0.89. That's kind of that. And then obviously the poor start are the two things that cost him the race. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the start, you know, Bolt actually ran the fastest 100 meters because he was 0 0.05 behind the start. So if you subtract 0 0.05, he wins by 0 0.02. Yeah, the article we're talking about is on Hammer Media, but it's H-M-M-R Media. So just Google Craig Pickering, yeah. Usain Bolt, maybe, and you can find it. It's or on the bottom. Well. On, on the left-hand column. Look up meter-by-meter meter analysis, how did Usain Bolt lose. So if you're just joining us, this is your host, Robert Johnson, joined by Jonathan Galt, still in the U.K., and Weldon Johnson back in the States. 
Um, we're going to be wrapping up soon. If you want to call in, 724-444-7444, and a call ID 72655. Um, we've talked a lot about Worlds. I mean, we could probably talk for hours, but I'm trying to keep it to about an hour-long show, and we're getting close to an hour. Let's look ahead. We've got a lot to look forward to. I mean, we have the Birmingham meet on Sunday. Jonathan will be there on site getting behind-the-scenes access for you, everyone. So that should be fun. 10 to 12 U.S. Uh, it'll be on longer if you can get onto the BBC. Um, and there's some nice some nice races not on the TV window. And then after that, we've got the two Diamond League finales. And I think it's going to be wonderful. I'm really a big fan. I mean, small changes can make a big difference. I mean, I, I, I was a baseball fan. The second wild card makes 20, people, 20 more cities be interested in baseball in August and September. But having the Diamond League all one race, $50,000, I think is great. Puts more incentive for people to go. Mo Farrow is going to be running in the Diamond League finale for once. Um, it's going to be very exciting. And we've just published it on, on Let's Run. The five races we want to see are four or five races we want to see after Worlds. And um, so the ones that we listed, and these are the ones I came up on to make sure that nobody – I did put five, so there must be one that I didn't have. Um, so um, the five races that we want to see – up oh, there's an extra one. Isaac McQuallow versus – Wade Van Niekerk at 400. That's a given. I mean, we have to see that. It'd be fantastic. What would have happened in London? We'll never know, but that'll be the next best thing. The second most favorite race we want to see, a sub-1250 attempt by Mo Farah and Mukhtar Edris. Again, I said it early in the show, Farah's got nothing to be ashamed of. He may be in close to the best shape of his life. If not the best shape of his life, I certainly think he can PR. So let's get after it. Um, I'm just worried with seeing Farah mouth off and kind of go on a tirade against the media a little bit. If he's mentally down a little bit after Worlds, he shouldn't be. Hopefully he relaxes, gets up for it. And, and you want Ed just to be motivated. Um, you know, hopefully he's not celebrating too much in Ethiopia right now. Um, the third most race we want to see, sub-eight attempt by Evan Jager in Brussels. We've got to see it. I mean, the bronze was all right. It was the bare, bare minimum acceptable race for him. Let's go for it. And then I really want to see Beatrice Chipkowicz in the steeple. I mean, I definitely think she's in nine, sub-9 nine shape. I mean, she gave away at least 10 seconds in that race. Um, I was thinking she could break the world record. The world record is 8.52. So, John, uh, John, do you think she can get the world record, or is that too far out there? I think it's possible. I mean, yeah, she ran, what, 9.10 thereabouts in in London, and that was with, you know, gas that cost her – 10 seconds just off the bat almost. And then you add in the extra fatigue she felt from, you know, trying hard to catch up and just running far from an optimal race. You know, she ran 9.10. I think you add that in, she, she can definitely threaten the world record. Um, and if she's doing that, you know, then the question becomes, well, how fast can Emma Coburn run? How fast can Courtney Frerichs run? Can anyone else get under nine minutes as well? And I think, you know, Courtney Frerichs was saying off the world that even going into this meet when her PR was only 9.19, she was thinking she wanted to be the first American under nine, you know, because Coburn was only at 9.07 at that point. And Frerichs, I think, you know, she, she was she was trained well in college, but she wasn't doing a lot of miles or, you know, it was clear that she had a lot of potential for improvement. And I think, you know, that was a goal for her. So it would be very interesting to see if, if they can come close. But, yeah, Chip Coach. I think it's definitely uh, in the realm of possibility. So 
we're very likely to see all four of those races in the next few weeks, which is just going to be thrillful. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun to see that as a fan. And I think there was, you know, this is why we didn't have our post-Worlds recap up until today, Friday. Everyone needed a break, four or five days. But when you see that stuff, it's like, wow, this is going to be exciting. And then there's another race that I want to see, and I almost certainly won't see it in 2017, although I would love to see it. It's probably going to take some money. You know, we need more we need more sort of PR-type events like Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather. This will be my version for track and field. I want to see Jenny Simpson versus Emma Colbert in a steeple in 2018. My only question is, you know, Donovan Bailey raced Michael Johnson way back in the day for 150, at 150 meters when one was a 100-meter champion, 96. Donovan Bailey won 100 meters in the Olympics. Michael Johnson won the 200, and they ended up racing at 150 meters with the winner taking $1.5 million. I don't think we're going to be able to raise $1.5 million for this steeple matchup. I'm wondering how much would it take? Could we get this race done for $100,000? Can you throw in Firex and Quigley as well? Or are we going to need more, like $200,000, or maybe they just wouldn't do it? But um, I'm fascinated. I mean, I think that we've been texting back and forth as a staff. John, I know, is convinced that Simpson has been along too far from the steeple and, and, and wouldn't beat Coburn. I mean, I don't doubt it. If they race right now, yes, Jenny's not going to win that race. But maybe with some training. Well, then, if Jenny trains some next year, do you think she could beat her? I mean, to beat a race, right? She ran 909? What was Jenny's last time in the steeple? Yeah. 912. 912? So... No, I don't think she's going to beat her. I mean, with training, yeah, she probably thinks she can beat her. So, But does that take 10 seconds off her, her time? Um, but I guess she was running that, you know, pretty much right after college. She was a 359 runner at the time, but I don't know. I sort of tend to think Jenny could beat her in a flat 3K. So maybe with proper technique. Emma's pretty tall and pretty good at the barriers. I mean, one thing we didn't discuss was one of the reasons Emma won is she like passed on the inside on the final barrier and like nailed the, just beautifully executed that final water jump. Yeah, so, she did. And, and I agree. She does a lot of credit for her form, but she also blew everybody away once they hit it. So even if she had a bad water jump, it would have been interesting. I still think she might've won, but it's again, as someone, when I was coaching at Cornell, I didn't focus much on the water jumps and the water jump is actually one of the easier things to do compared to the rest of the hurdles. But technique wasn't, something we really focused on as much, but if you think it has nothing to do, and Jonathan Galt wrote that article in the year, but how much do these elites practice? I think that you saw that it's important in that race. And at the very elite level, it's like, why not at least be a good hurdler? It's certainly not going to hurt you. Um, But, you know, if you feel like Stephanie Garcia and you obsess over it, then it's not good. But I think that's one of the things I'm most interested in about this Birmingham meet is we're going to see how good, Emma Coburn is on 3,000, the flat 3,000. She's running a flat 3,000. I mean, she's only run one in her life to pro level. It was an 8.59 last place finish in 2015, I think. So, you know, we've already known that, like, Chip Kovic can run 8.28. So how fast can, can you know, and that's kind of like right around what Shannon Robray's run. Can Shannon Robray run, like, 8.30 one time, John? Yeah, Robray so, ran 8.29, I believe, uh, a year or two ago. So, you know, it's like you think normally you can't, you know, about 30 seconds plus a second slower for the steeple. So I just don't see Coburn running like eight under 830, but 
at some level, I mean, it's a sick time, but there's no way she's only in 840 shape. She's not that good of a hurdler. She can only do 22 seconds. So I'm really interested to see what she can do on the flat 3000. And, John, you wrote the preview. You're going to be at the meet. What, if you had to give one, maybe one men's race and one women's race, what are you most looking forward to seeing mid-D and distance-wise at Birmingham on Sunday? Yeah, um, you know, I think that women's 3K, that is probably the highlight for me, just to see how fast the Americans can go and also how fast, because uh, you've got a lot of good Americans in that race. You know, look at the list. Emma Coburn, Courtney Frerichs, Molly Huddle, Emily Infeld, Shannon Robery. I mean, God, that's, that's, that's like yeah. everyone making each other. It's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty much everyone. Um, and obviously, like, if you put Jenny Simpson, if you moved her up to a 3K, she'd obviously get a threat there as well. But that's a lot of talent in that race. So uh, I'm very excited to see how that one goes. Uh, and then Ob- you've got Helen O'Beary in it as well. And O'Beary, you know, how far she can she push that thing? You know, is she is she looking to run, try and run out at 820, which no one apart from Chinese women have ever done outdoors? You know, I, I think she's clearly in phenomenal shape right now. So looking at her in that 3000 and then whoever wins the battle for top America, and that's going to be terrific. I think on the men's side, you know, you got the 3K with Mo Farah, but that's really just a typical Mo Farah and, you know, British Diamond League race. So it's going to be more of a coronation going away party for him. I think the best event is probably the men's 800, which I'm, I'm a, and the men's 15, the men's mile is pretty good too. You got Inga Brixen and Jakob Palusa and Robbie Andrews, but the men's 800, I would say is probably the best one to watch. Kippy Gombat, bronze medalist at world, Adam Schott, silver medalist, Nigel Amos. Uh, unfortunately, Clayton Murphy has withdrawn from that race. Uh, I was excited to see what he was, could, was capable of, but he didn't race very well in Sopot a couple of days ago, and I think probably as a result of that, his, his uh, withdrawal. Uh, I haven't I made contact. I contacted his agent, and he hasn't uh, responded, so I'm not entirely sure why the reason for the scratch is there. But yeah, I think the men's 800 still got a bunch of good guys, and also Kyle Langford's running there. He's fourth at Worlds. You know, was that a total fluke, or can he? go even faster in this race. So uh and Kiprop as well. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of good guys in there. Did Langford really say that he was hoping to have won the worlds? Did I read uh, that somewhere? I, that was a little cockiness of, of youth. He was sort of exiting the media's uh, media areas. He said that to me as like a throwaway line. I think he was kind of joking, but you know, he's I think he's basically he was feeling invincible the whole week. He got fourth in the world when I don't think anyone's expecting him to even make the final, so uh, I think part of it was joking, but all these athletes, I mean, you got to, to get to this level, you kind of have, got to have crazy levels of self-belief in yourself, so. You do. Maybe, you, do. And, you know, maybe he does want that. And one thing about it, you know, we put this in our, in our grades is, you know, the 800 was wide open this year. You may never get a, a year like that again. That's why these, the Drew Windows and, you know, maybe kicking themselves and not getting in that final, because, I mean, just making the U.S. team in the years to come, mm-hmm. obviously, Langford's not American, but it's going to be really hard with Frazier and, you know, guys like that. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that were injured, you know, with uh, not competing this year with Clayton Murphy and um, Boris Berrien. So it's just going to be loaded going forward. One race I think that we, we didn't have in our in the five races we want to see, I would like to see Helen O'Berry go for the world record in the 5,000. I think if you put Ayana in there, you'd have, I mean, I don't know who you could get that could possibly rabbit the race well enough. 
But, you know, if, if they let you have a machine rev at them, I'm, I'm certain they would break the one of them would break the world record. So that would be a lot of fun to see. There's just a lot of stuff that's going to happen in the next three weeks or so. I think it all ends on September 1st. So, you know, it's definitely going to be an exciting week or two. But we've been over an hour. The international phone call to have John be on this live podcast is costing us a small fortune. So um, you guys have anything else you want to briefly talk about? Parting words, John? No, I think that's it. I've got, I'm off to see Brighton Hove Albion against Leicester City in the Premier League tomorrow. I'm very excited about that. And I, as of now, I still have three extra tickets. If anyone listening from the UK wants to go, we ordered two and then somehow, you know, the ticket service gave us two extra tickets by accident, which they have now said we can keep. So uh, anyone in Leicester area or in Birmingham for the meet is welcome to join me. John, I was what an offer, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, what an offer. Um, I was offer. I was watching. I think the internet, something on the internet, there appeared to be a riot at one of these matches, or was this a, it was a friendly match between some Czechoslovakia club playing a Premier League team. Why were they playing a Premier League team when the season started? Uh, they have a lot of qualifying for the European competitions right now, so uh, that's so it was a real match. What it was. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing it was a meaningful match. I haven't heard about the riot thing, though. Well, be careful, John. Be was careful. it fans? There was a sort of a brawl between the two championship teams last weekend in England, but... No, it was these fans that were throwing their bottles into the field, and they were from, like, Czechoslovakia or somewhere. Uh, I apologize if it's not Czechoslovakia. It might have been, like, Ukraine or something like or that. Czechoslovakia doesn't re- exist anymore, so... We will receive calls on that. The Czech Republic. Do we have any callers? We could take some crazy callers, Robert. Um, it doesn't look like the people want to call in. We have listeners, but their phone's not lit up, so it looks like they haven't made themselves available to chat in. If you haven't been on the call, this is your last chance. 724-444-7444. Your call ID is 7655-POUND. And we'll take a call. I think it's fun, but... Um, one of our normal callers has been out of commission this summer working at another place that I might be letting him call in. So we'll see if Habs ever calls back in again. Guess we're not going to have any callers. So, anyways, it's been good talking to you guys. Thanks for the good work. I know it was late because many nights, guys, you don't realize how long it takes us to write like a 4,000-word recap of a two-minute race. But it takes hours because a lot of nights it was like 11 – 10.30, getting close to 11. I was tired here in the States and the East Coast wanting to go to bed and saying, like, guys, come on, i got to go to bed. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm telling someone who's up at 3.34 in the morning working. So great work. Got a lot of insight that we wouldn't have gotten if you guys hadn't been there. So thanks for making the trip over the pond. Have fun at the football match tomorrow, John. And Thank um, you. Wow, proper terminology, football match. Yes. Very good. I, I, I thought about correcting myself, but um, – we shall see. But uh should be exciting end of the year. And uh, we went for Jonathan Galt and Weldon Johnson, this is Robert Johnson, your host of Track Talk Live on Let's, Let's Run.com's Track Talk Live. And we'll be signing off. Thank you for joining us, and hopefully we'll do it again soon.